In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about the Sixers' come-from-behind win over the Memphis Grizzlies, including Joel Embiid's complete dominance on the defensive side of the court, James Harden and his continued success against top 10 defenses, and about what all of that means when we get to the playoffs. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network, following what was another down-to-the-wire win against a really good team. Completely different, almost a mirror inverse opposite of the last one we talked about, but how are you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing fine. That was a uh, a certainly an exciting night. It, I mean, obviously it was, uh, you know, it was a little sloppy, a little choppy for most of the night. But uh, certainly at the end of that game, there was uh, there was juice in the arena. Yeah, yeah, there was. Um, that was for a regular season game in the middle of February. That was about as exciting as you could get. And going from that Tobias Harris corner three to James Harden getting that floorboard and getting Joel Embiid for a monster transition dunk, that place was electric. And you look at it now, and they've had good wins here against the Cavs before the All-Star break. You know, some extenuating circumstances that might have made that one a little bit frustrating, but a good win against a four seed in the East, the uh, third ranked defense in the league, or maybe fourth, it doesn't matter. And then a win here last night against the Memphis Grizzlies, who are the second seed in the West and have the league's second best defense. So there have been, look, there, there's neither game has been perfect, but it's like we've been saying a lot here recently. It might not be perfect, but at the end of the night, they have more points than the other team. And that's happening pretty consistently here. Yeah. I was wondering, do you think, because to me, it feel, felt more satisfying to win in the fashion they did last night, sure. where they come from behind and they win with defense. And I'm not sure that's the right answer, but I, I guess there are a couple reasons for that. I would say, one, this is more of an offensively built team. So if you can win, quote unquote, playing left-handed, win when they take your weakness away, I, I feel like that's better. Obviously, uh, it feels better to win that way just with the order of events, right? Like, they played better yeah. down the stretch. They uh, they won that game. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess for whatever reason, I, I thought it, it was pretty similar to the Memphis game in that we were uh, we were sitting there eating hot dogs at halftime. Good uh, good on you, Wells Fargo Center uh, for, uh, we're, we're for supplying very, you know, pe- People talk about like us being like a curmudgeon group. It's not hard to appease us. Give us a mediocre hot dog and we're we'll sing your praises. That's it. So, so That's yes, it. <laughs> as we were eating the uh, the mediocre hot dogs. Although I will say it's it's pretty hard to screw up hot dogs. Oh, Miami disagrees. Miami well, disagrees. Again, What's that called? Why. Is that still the FTX arena? What's that called nowadays? I don't know. I uh, it's it's a good question. I, I thought they were taking the FTX off on. I mean, the, you have uh, to at this point. You would assume so. Uh, and I know some other companies have uh, have made bids. If uh, if you want to Reddit that or, or Google that, I think it is currently offers. called the Miami Dade Arena. I guess they have not found a new uh, new sponsor for that one yet. Yes. Uh, so where were we? Oh yeah, when we were talking over hot dogs at halftime, you know the Sixers were losing by twelve points. But I believe I said to you, you know, if things go to form, it, it doesn't look like they they really have it tonight. It doesn't look like. 
they're going to score enough against this team. But usually they win this game. They come back in the third quarter and win it. And it kind of felt like the Denver game where they, I don't know, they just don't get behind all that much. And I think you made a good point in your column kind of right after the All-Star break about, uh, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but about how the Sixers, they don't blow as many leads as you think, basically. And uh, I think when you couple that with the stat last night, that was their fifth win of the season when they've trailed by more than 15 points. You know, as much as we hear about, oh, my gosh, they blow leads all the time. They they might, like, let the team get back in touch when it uh, comes to blowing a lead. But in terms of, like, actually making a count, they're on the positive side of of actually doing that to other teams more than uh, it happens to them. So I, I guess that's my way of saying, I don't know, it just felt like a really satisfying win to win in, in all of those matters. Yeah. No, I mean, Daryl was on, on the rookie here this past week, and he basically said, like, he he pulled up the old Sam Hinkie quote, which is like, well, why do we watch a game front forward to back from beginning to end? Uh, but his point was that, like, we o- tend to overstate what happens at the end because it's freshest in our mind because it is the last point in the game. Whereas if you reverse that, some of those near-blown leads might not be quite as frustrating it might be something that you can just view as something that happens throughout the course of the game and last night against grizzlies was almost the the mirror of that you know they play a really bad first half on both ends of the court especially that first quarter they lost desmond main a million times uh their defense was not good enough by contrast their offense the ball movement was stagnant they weren't getting out in transition yada 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 they lost 12 bead minutes by 15 points disaster yeah Yeah. b paul on the other hand kind of held his own We'll see whether or not uh, that matters in the rotations going forward. Dwayne Dedman, once again, not available. But they they completely flipped that. Their defensive effort in the second half, and really in, in the last two and a half to three quarters, was outstanding. Their ball movement was better. They got a monster night from James Harden. Tobias Harris made some big shots, missed one by a couple feet, but made the rest of them. And next thing you know, that is a very encouraging, very fun, very entertaining win that leaves everybody feeling good about themselves. It's really not that much different than what happened against Cleveland. It's just completely flipped, but it really does play with our psyche and how we view uh, how we view leads, how we view comebacks, how we view runs, how we view really the modern NBA. It, it's so funny. I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying, and yet I also am just understanding my own you know biases here. I just it's such we're humans. A, a more we're emotional. It's a satisfying emotional. performance. It just yeah. it just is and. I think especially Joel Embiid, I think, was the encapsulation of the entire night. So he comes off the All-Star game, the All-Star game in which he showed up at uh, at what time on Sunday? It was like 3.30. It was like 3.30 for a 5.30 game. game. Yeah. And yet, pretty much, he, found he was a way. pretty much the Marshawn, I'm just here so I'm not getting fined. And yet, he played in the game harder than yeah. pretty much anybody. So what what exactly is happening? And by the way, I didn't even know until last night. That's how little I pay attention to the All-Star game. I, I know everybody said it sucked this year. I think it mostly sucks every year. I know that 2020 game was fun down the stretch. I, I didn't even know that he pulled a uh, a Marshawn until uh, until we got back. Oh, oh, he showed up on Sunday. That's, uh, you know, I shouldn't say this is probably uh, somebody who wants access for the media, but I, I think that's kind of funny. That he, that he did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't find it quite as funny if I was a media who media member who traveled to that event. But yeah. then again, I've been there twice and I've learned not to travel to that ev- event. 
I think you can argue that Joel is teaching the media the lesson to not show up at those things. So it's really bad. And that, I, I'm not going to usually be on his side when he's skipping media obligations, but you know what? In this case, uh, you know, could, yeah. could be a worse time to spring it. Uh, anyway, so he plays in that game in in which he did not want to play, and he comes back. And even so, even while getting the you know three hours of run in in Utah and and hopping back on a plane, he just looks rusty, man. Yeah. And I, don't you feel like this is something we see with him a lot? Like, if he misses time, as much as maybe that does his foot well, maybe that, uh, you know, other nagging injuries get a little bit better, Joel Embiid is a rhythm basketball player. And yeah. and when he misses time, the, the first game back is usually going to be a struggle. It, it just is. And and when he's he's playing all these games, it's kind of the, uh, the irony of how his career started when he didn't play back-to-backs and he only played... 20 minutes per game when he is consistently playing basketball that like in the middle of those streaks, that's when he's running off these huge performances and he's uh, you know, he's making every shot last night was the opposite. Did not make every shot ended up seven for 25, which is my minor, uh, minor miracle because he started off two for 14 as Kobe esque. Yeah. As a, as our uh, good friend, uh, Timmy B noted, that was only the second time in Embiid's career that he missed 12 shots in a half. Don't need to mention when the first time was. It was not a happy point in this franchise. Was Game 4 one of the ones they lost? It doesn't game matter. It was not a happy wait, point in this franchise. Well, when, when was it now that you it, it was? It was Game 4 of the uh, Hawks series. Oh, yeah. I forget which oh, yeah, one that second, they lost. It was the second half. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he couldn't make a shot, and they absolutely choked that game away. Okay, let's keep going. Let's <laughs> the happy pot. <laughs> um, but... He was, I mean, he ended up with, what, six block shots, 19 rebounds, 17 on the defensive end. Those numbers don't always do defensive performances justice, but it certainly did last night for a team in Memphis who is incredibly athletic, incredible attacking the rim. He was there to alter shots. And is he the reason that John Morant ended up three for 16 from the field? No, not solely, but he was certainly a factor in that. You know, Morant definitely had an off night Definitely missed some shots he could have made. But a lot of those, especially in the paint, were contested. And, I mean, George Niang wasn't contesting those shots. A lot of it came down to Joel Embiid, and he controlled the paint in a way that we don't always see. And I think if you were going to have a reason for coming away from that game feeling positive, it's not just because the typical halves were flipped and the second half was the good half. It's also because James Harden had another really good offensive performance against a really good defense, critical for the Sixers' postseason success. And Joel Embiid sort of showed you what his defensive impact is when he completely dials it up every possession for the entire game, which he kind of admitted a little bit after the game. He doesn't always do in the regular season. In a very Joel way, he's like, look, when I have, don't have it offensively, my defense goes from great to excellent or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. It's sort of Joel's way of admitting that, hey, not every game I'm going 100% on defense. But I think there's some truth to that. But in the playoffs, he will. And one other thing I noted here in the column last week, the Sixers don't usually lose because of their defense in the playoffs. Like in the second round, they lose because no. they score like 103 points per 100 against the Heat or 105 against the Raptors. Or I'm sort of making these numbers up, but they're pretty close. You know, a real low amount against the Hawks in the second round. That's where their issues come. So if you trust that Embiid's going to ramp it up defensively, and I do, and you trust that Embiid and Harden are in a position where they can have more success offensively than they had last year. Harden because he's coming back 
uh, from those injuries. He had another offseason. He certainly looks better physically. And Bede, because you're hoping he's not going to be punched in the face and have a broken eye socket, then I think there's reason to believe they can be better than they were last year. And that's sort of one thing we've been touching on a lot recently. I do believe it. I do still have my concerns about their perimeter defense. Those didn't go away last night. But I think they gave you indications that they can perform at a higher level, which they have been because, quite frankly, they've been winning a lot of these games against good teams. I think you hit on the uh, the theory of this team, you know, and, and Daryl said it on the Ricky where it would just be so much easier if they had proved like if this were the Bucks, who have that championship in their bag, who have postseason success, you could go, all right, fine. They're flip the switch team. It's just a little harder when it's never happened. Yeah. And I think there are reasons for legitimate skepticism because let's be real. This group of players, pretty much all of them, this coach, he's hurt a lot of people's feelings in the second round, not him, the, the, the collective. <laughs> they've they've hurt a lot of people's feelings (laughs) that hawk certainly hurt a lot of feelings for sure for sure that was in june and may whenever you know whenever the the second round hits on the nba calendar due to covid or whatever reason uh so yeah and i think that's kind of the theory that maury was talking about where they have the shooting they have the talent and I, i think they're just banging on in the playoffs when we actually try hard every game, right? This stuff's actually going to matter more, and the the hustle categories and the the athleticism those, those things will not matter as much. I want to uh, I want to shout out AU Andrew Underberger because I thought he had a great point on Twitter where he basically said I don't have the tweet in front of me, but he said that the farther we get away from 2019, it's unbelievable that Embiid scored zero points in a game because. Yeah. He literally couldn't see the basket. You, you could, you could tell it's almost like uh, I forget what Rocky movie it is, but like you, you could, it almost looked like he needed an IV on, on the court, and it's like the Rocky movie where it's like I see three of them out there, and it's like hit, hit the, the one, one in the middle. middle. Yeah. It's like shoot, shoot it at the one in the middle. Like it, he clearly was sick, and it was one of those three or four times of the year, and this is part of the deal with Joe Embiid, where he's just too sick to play offense well, and that's okay because the other seventy games are great. The other 65 games, whatever it is. Uh, so it's just unbelievable, though. He he was in that state, and he basically had a double-double at halftime. He scores by accident. So he when he when even when he's completely useless, the fact that he scored zero points is uh, is pretty crazy. And then, yeah, I think, uh, like you said, the, the defense, it, it was funny when he mentions, yeah, sometimes I don't try as hard. And I think there's, like, legitimate reason for that. He's shouldering a massive offensive load where I think he basically says, look, I got to score a bunch on the other end, so I I can't be overexerting myself. I also want to make it to the playoffs healthy. So, you know, game 57, I don't want to always be, you know, blocking every shot. And that's another element of it, too, where he the defense is always better when he's on the court, in part because he's just seven feet, whatever. And standing by the rim, and he knows how to position himself. But just like catching lobs on the other end, he's not trying to block every shot. First off, that's not always the best defense. But also, he just doesn't want to put that pressure on his, you know, lower body. So, right. Uh, so there are reasons for that. But I thought it was cool that last night's game, you have John Morant coming downhill at you. You have the Memphis Grizzlies just continuing to come downhill. He realized that okay, we we need me to like actually protect the rim here and violently slap them away you know 
violence at the rim, Sam Hinkie style, and he did it. He did it the entire night, and to his credit, even when he completely sucked on offense in the first half, he was doing it, and he got rewarded at the end with an absolute classic block on Morant. Yeah. When Morant tries to jump over and through P.J. Tucker trying to take a charge, no call on that somehow, I, which is fine. I, I don't actually hate that. Uh, and Joel meets him at the summit and gets a block. So he, he earned that one. That was... That was like a dig deep, I'm still one of the best defenders in the league when I want to show it type of performance from Joel. Yeah, and I mean, Joe, who had his own poster block on the other end when Jaron Jackson oh, Jr. What got a block. In. Oh my God. A couple of incredible blocks. Like you said, when there's violence at the rim, you're going to get, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. And that happened, both of them happened there last night. It was, it really was, for a, a night that seemed kind of, you know, the first quarter and a half or so, it was like, Desmond Bain was locked in and everyone else was kind of shaking off some post all-star break rust. That second half was a, was an unexpected surprise and an unexpected win. I mean, what was a, what was the Memphis largest lead there in the night? Like that just for a long time. And I, I sent a tweet. Was and it I said, 15, I, 17? I don't know. Something like that. You know, I, I said, I hey, think you can pretty much put a pin in this one. I think it's pretty much over. <laughs> um, right after I sent that tweet, the Sixers went on a 24 to eight run or something like that and took control of the game. It was a, it was a wild, wild game. Wild so, game. Somebody should let Memphis know, by the way, that Desmond Bain is on your team at the end of the game. Like maybe, yeah. maybe involve him in an action once in a while. I don't know. I he also did have was... that one possession where the, the Grizzlies got three threes to go for the, the lead. I think he might've had two of those shots. He had two. First one they was had a good two look. pretty good looks in that three shot possession where of course the Sixers couldn't get, they did a decent enough job for most of the night, but that possession, they completely could not get the defensive board uh, and made it interesting. But yeah, in the second half, really after the first quarter, he had 19 in the first quarter and then was a, uh, a bit player the rest of the way. He's a very good player. And I also think if we covered him on a daily basis, the amount of times I would talk like Bane from Batman with yeah. just a, a horrible impression, just like, what a lovely voice or, you know, something like that. I don't know. Uh, yeah, he, he was really good. Memphis forgot about him. Let's go to, uh, I guess let's go to Harden because he was the one who kept them afloat all night. Yeah. Uh, and what, what stood out to you most about just, I, I thought it was a masterpiece from him offensively. It, it I, I think, look, we'll focus a lot on getting to the rim and he certainly is doing that much better this year. Just that setback jumper. Like, how much more accurate that is right now than it was last year. And I, I do think part of that is probably having more legs underneath that shot. I think it's probably a tough shot to uh, to get to the rim. And he's he's just, like, when that shot is going in, it is very hard to guard him, even at his age. He, especially with getting maybe a half step back of that lost step of athleticism. Uh, he was against a really good defense. He kept them afloat for most of the night. Analytically speaking, it's a cheat code. Because... yeah. When he's shooting that step back three at the clip he is right now, and I don't know the exact percentages. We, we all know he's shooting well, close to 40% on the season from three, and a lot of those are step back jumpers because as much as we talk about the catch and shoot stuff, he did make two of those last night, by the way. That doesn't make up a huge number of his shots. But analytically, you have a bad possession and you throw him the ball with six seconds left, you have nothing going. He's making that, it feels like, at like a 35% clip. Like, you're at over one point per possession when you have nothing going and you just give him the On ball. On bailout shot, yep. Yeah, and it's, it's look, there are times it can look ugly if, you know, the, the player correctly crowds his airspace and guesses right, but 
I think these two things, and this was the, the whole deal in Houston, because he is getting to the rim more, that has become more of a weapon. You, you, have to, you can't just cheat against that step-back jumper because if you crowd up on him, he's starting to go by dudes now. Yeah. And so those well, things and that's work the thing. The stuff off the dribble opens up the step-back, and then the step-back opens up more stuff off the dribble, and it's definitely synergistic, I guess you could say. That's a good word. I like how it's, you put I that. hate that word. Back in my tech career, they loved that word. Um, so I say that almost derisively. I feel like it's not just a tech inju- uh, industry. No, I feel it's like not. A lot it was of companies, just, for sure. It was just one that they love to use, and I, I, I sort of despise it. You could see that on a PowerPoint corporate synergy. A hundred percent. James Harden, Harden step back, and then him crossing over a dude for an N one. Uh, As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager yeah really good stuff there and you know to do that against memphis one of the best defenses in the league like his last two games we're against, I think, the two best defenses in the league, Cleveland and Memphis. Yeah, with, I think they might be two and three. Uh, Milwaukee's up there. Sorry, yeah. Milwaukee might be one. Okay, that's pretty good. Like, and, and those teams switched him, and he found the weaker defenders, and sometimes he scored on the better defenders. Brandon Clark, decent switch guy, didn't matter. Step back three, four-point play. Uh, and he just, I mean, he had a great night. You know, he passes AI on the all-time scoring list. He uh, He wears a headband, which... You know, it wasn't exactly Samurai Jimmy, but it seemed like it uh, it turned in a good performance for him. You don't usually see James in the headband. And then he also... So who who would be the other the other one in the headband of brothers? Who would... Well, can we get Tobias back wearing the, the headband? Yeah, I, I like Tobias wearing wearing the headband. He... he I, I felt like he used to wear the headband more when he had shorter hair, though. Okay. I, I don't know if that's the, the reason. I, I can ask him. I don't know. Uh... It is funny that Jimmy and Ben were the, the uh, not the samurai headband of brothers, but they, they wore the headbands sometimes yeah. together, which, you know, how that turned out, that seemed like a, uh, not a long-lasting partnership there in, uh, in a lot of ways. The, uh, the FTX Arena naming rights were terminated as of January 11th, so only a little over a month ago, if you're curious. That's the definition of there you go. There you go. <laughs> 
Uh, where were where we? Where was I? With Harden. Oh, yeah, Harden. And then he he has the really cool thing where he you know he helps out the uh, the survivor of the uh, Michigan State shooting, that tragedy that happened yeah. there this week. Um, so just really good night for for James Harden, both on and uh, off the court. Yeah, he's. I mean, look, he's he's playing terrific basketball. I think we've been saying on this pod for a while now that it's been an underrated season. Like he probably should have been an all-star. Even if he wasn't an all-star, he's performing at exactly the level the Sixers need from him. It's just that the last couple of games, he's been the best dude on the floor. And for the Sixers to have that, for the Sixers to have Embiid overcoming a bad shooting night, because we know Embiid is a 30 point per game scorer. We know he's one of the best four or five players in the league for him to overcome that and find other ways to help them win. And then when you add in the biggest swing factor on this season, which is Harden's ability to score one-on-one, you know, that Memphis team, they didn't really play traditional pick and roll coverage. They, there were a couple times that they, uh, they mixed in kind of like in between a soft and a hard hedge and he found Embiid, but they, they made him a scorer and he did it. So I don't know, r- really encouraging stuff from Harden recently. And, it's almost like you want him to just get to the playoffs. Like it's like, can you just start the playoffs now? Because if you yeah. have this version yeah. of Harden, it's like, yeah. all right, you got a chance. Yeah. No, you worry about maybe some kind of injury that might just take a step away, or just more wear and tear. The amount of games are going to play between now and the playoffs. Like how compact the schedule is. Like you worry. It really is. The, the higher the stakes get with teams, the more you just worry about everything. I couldn't imagine having my legacy tied to something like this, which speaks to a lot of these Sixers. Players and personnel, because from Doc Rivers to Daryl Morey to James Harden, Joel Embiid, like there's a lot of legacies riding on the next year or two. So we will, uh, it's, it's fascinating. For, for a team that I feel like is slept on locally for reasons that I think are some valid, some outside of their control, there really is a lot at stake here over the next couple of months. Did it feel like to you this was the type of game, now maybe it'll happen in conjunction if they put together a good performance against Boston, it felt like, obviously, first game post-All-Star break. All of the Eagles stuff is done. All of the post-mortem of the Super Bowl is done. It To me, it felt like that was the game that put the Sixers back on people's mind. Yeah, Local. and I think it was naturally going to be, or at least it would be if they didn't lay an egg, which for the first quarter and a half, it looked they like they were, <laughs> yeah, they were threatening to lay an egg. But yeah, no, timing of the schedule along with how entertaining and exciting of a win it was. Yeah. I think there's a lot more people talking about the Sixers now than there were a week ago. For sure. For sure. Yeah. A couple more things. I thought, uh, I thought doc was pretty good in the second half. And I thought the, the interesting thing that he said is that he played Tucker for a few minutes as the small ball. I thought people Paul was fine last night, but at some point, Jaron Jackson jr. Was just helping off him too much where, yeah, I think it made sense to try and go small ball, and I don't know how long it actually lasted. It was probably like two or three minutes. But the Sixers did okay in those minutes, and some of that was against Taylor Jenkins went all bench or pretty close to all bench for like a minute there, and I felt like I was watching the, the Sixers because it was yeah. a disaster. Yep. I think the Sixers went on like a 4 four nothing run, 6 nothing. run. I think Grizzlies like Reddit that. was losing their mind? Probably. Probably, yeah. Don't don't you dare play the, the non-Morant. Bane, Triple J lineups. Uh, how dare you? But anyway, Doc, after the game, he said that the PJ at center thing is something we're going to see more in the uh, yeah. second half of the season, which I think it, is an encouraging sign. 
it was he was like look we don't get a chance to practice it like we you know blah 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 blah. we're not gonna have many days between now and, and blah, blah blah well then maybe you should have been like playing him at center there a little bit like during the games up to yeah. this point like you could have used him a little more rather than you know Montrez Harrell I don't know uh but it is good that he busted it out now he also mentioned that the all bench lineups something that you're probably not going to see in the playoffs but here over the next month and a half when they need to buy some minutes he wants to sort of like expand the bench because of how many games they play over the next month and a half. Well, he didn't really expand it last night. And he said that was just what the uh, the game gave him. They reacted to the game. And because they were struggling, because Melton was struggling a little bit, they shortened the rotation, got rid of those all bench lineups for last night uh, and put PJ at five. And I think both of those were the right call to make for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and I agree with that, you know, as, as much as I don't like the all bench and I think to if people didn't see the press conference because I, I know people get uh, get scared about that. He went out of his way to say playoffs. We're not doing that. Yeah, so just regular season right now. We're playing a million games and not that many days. We're gonna have to expand the bench a little bit to just make sure these guys' minutes are intact. I don't know. I, I don't really have too much to argue with there. And then the other thing is too, they settled on a play where it was kind of like a horn horn set where they would enter the ball to Embiid and they used Harden as a screener. And it was really effective because Dylan Brooks did not want to switch off of Harden. Dylan Brooks, the the guy who takes every matchup as, as personally as possible. Um, certainly, you'd consider him an irritant, right? Sure. The whole team's an irritant. In a yeah, good way. In a way that I think Philly uh, would love if they were our own irritants. That's a good point. They definitely are the type of team that you love if they're your team, but right. the rest of the NBA doesn't really like them. Uh, they used Harden as a back screener and, you know, a down screener on the other action. And they ran it with Tobias and Maxi, and they got really good stuff. They executed it. So, and that was important because in the first half, their execution was horrible. The ISO stuff was not working yeah. against that crew. So, so good for doc and also just good for Embiid and Harden and Tobias figuring it out. Tobias yeah. end of the game, a couple huge shots for sure. After coming up two foot short on a corner three, a couple possessions earlier, to be fair, it was a pretty bad pass. Like he picked it up pretty much off the ground. Um, good. That's the funniest play of the, the year because not only was the pass terrible, not only did he air ball by two feet, he was standing next to PJ in the corner. Yeah. I, it was the worst spacing you've ever seen. Yeah. There were two guys right next to each other, but I guess because it was a scramble, he was wide open. Yeah. And I think good for Tobias. He after the game, he's like, yeah, it all the comeback. It all started with with the air ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's well, and then he, he pointed out that he had that possession or that play a couple possessions later where he he passed up the open shot and ended up getting bailed out by one of the most ridiculous shots we've seen all year from James Harden. And then he said, all right, look, like, you know, next time I get that, can't let that happen again. I'm going to get the shot. If I have space, if I have time, I'm going to let it fly. Uh, he said he had some, what did he say? He said, I had some nasty words for myself inside after he passed up that shot. Good on him. He ended up with four made three, four made threes on the night. I think he had like 20 points on 10 shots of four made threes were the most threes he had made in over two months since December 19th. He is shooting something like 31% from three and making about half as many threes per game as he was in the first chunk of the season. So good on him for writing that ship because they needed, they needed those shots down a stretch in a big way, a big way. Yeah. That was a nasty record scratch. That was as, yeah. as loud as it gets. It was, yeah, it was. It was rough. And who was, like who you was said, the first to come up with the record? Was that is that Danny LaRue? Was he first, or did he just make I think, it popular? I think it was Nate Duncan. I, 
Okay. I don't know. I, it was, one of those two. One of those, one two, of those guys two guys on, on their podcast. But yeah, it was, it's a great term. And I, I certainly was thinking, you know, I, I winced when Tobias did that. And like you said, that hardened shot was, was crazy. There was a little bit of luck for sure <laughs> in how, uh, how the Sixers made their shots down the stretch and the Grizzlies, they missed some pretty good looks. Yeah. Uh, Grizzlies shot seven for 32 from three. I think that was their fourth worst three-point shooting game of the season. Not a particularly great three-point shooting team, but certainly that was a one one where you, you got away with some, especially in the first half when the Sixers' defensive rotations weren't necessarily sharp. Um, but, I mean, you play hard, you give yourself a chance, and they gave themselves a chance. Yeah, I don't know. What, what else you got on this one? Well, PJ was pretty good for a guy who ended up with what he ended up with six points on two for three shooting, two threes. That's a good start. Sure. I'll take that. Got a lot of floorboards, a lot of hustle. Had some good passes. I thought on the Tobias um, corner three, the game winner. I thought his quick pass was was key. He take another well, second there to survey the floor, and I think that could have gone a different way. Well, that one was funny because he threw his worst pass of the night before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost turned it over. What Joel? I think recovered it. Joel. Yeah. Barely beat Jot of the ball. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. That was... Now, I'm not sure he deserves all the credit in the world because I think he wanted to play hot potato because, man, he was... Well, he doesn't want to shoot, sure, but it was still a quick decision either way, no matter what the reason was behind it. It was a quick decision, and that was key. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and I thought I thought Maxie struggled for a lot of the night, too. That's that's the other yeah. thing, too. They You, you can win when Maxie is bad. Now, I think, ideally, Maxie would not be bad, and I thought some of the... The shots he took were bad. Like he's got a the step back long too. That just enough. Yeah. No more of that. Um but you know, he's on the floor in key possessions, and I think uh because Melton was struggling so much, that was the right lineup at the end of the game where they, they at least had the firepower to uh to not get helped off that much. You know, PJ is kind of the only one who uh PJ had a big board on that possession before too. And I, I thought that the other thing Maxie did well was on that horn set and bead sets a back screen a few possessions before or Harden sets a back screen and bead finds Maxi. And then he makes the quick decision to find Harris in the corner. That was uh that was really good offense. And, you know, I, I think Maxi's going to be key because as you saw last night, when they have that lineup out there, the Grizzlies put John Moran on him and, and Maxi's the Sixers got to leverage that. If, if you have a bad defender, kind of a, a a Tyrese Maxey s defender on Tyrese Maxey, little Spider Man meme for you right there. He's got to take advantage of it. You know whether yeah. that's Harden, whether that's Embiid, whether that's him. They they got to do a better job of that. So definitely some room for improvement. But uh, good to see them win with with him not even not at his best. Yeah, for sure. All right, I'm not sure I have too much else here. They've got a bunch of games coming up, including two more at home, one on Saturday, one on Monday. Anything else you got there for us? No, I'm I'm excited. There's the the good part about this schedule when while it might be exhausting, there's gonna be a lot of juice for these games. I kinda wish more of these were at home. Like when you're sitting there in that arena, and I I sort of wrote about this today. It's so easy to get lost in well, what does this mean for the playoffs? Last night was one where it's like, oh yeah, like February basketball can be really fucking fun too. And they're playing some pretty exciting basketball, especially with these two wins here over the Cavs and the Grizzlies, even though they were, you know, eight days apart because of the break. But the last few games have been really fun, really entertaining, parts of them at least, uh, really fun, really entertaining. They've got some really good contests coming up. Boston, Miami, like we said before, they start that road trip. 
but after that, you don't really have a marquee home game until like middle of April, uh, which awesome. I think, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think is a little bit of a shame. I, I feel like, and look, will there be juice for a road game in Milwaukee? Yeah, of course. Or a road game against the Suns and the Nuggets. Sure. There will be juice locally, but it won't be the same as it would be if it was in the Wells Fargo Center. I feel like we're going to lose a little bit of that excitement, a little bit of that momentum because there is, I mean, they play what? 13 of their next 16 or 12 of the next 15. I forget what it is on the road. Not a small number. And we always dump on what a, what a dump the Wells Fargo center is. The, uh, the atmosphere though, the, the fans specifically, it's right. just, it's one of the best ones in the NBA. It's like in, the, in that fourth quarter when they're slugging it out with the Grizzlies, these, these key half court possessions. I, I would not take many other arenas. The, the only two yeah. that come to mind are, are Boston and New York. So I, which I think is just, Kind yeah. of the the northeast part of the United States fandom is is generally pretty good. But now, as much it, shit awesome. as I would love to give Boston their fans do do bring energy on on pretty much every night, but especially on big games for sure. All right, All right. I think that'll just about do it. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we'll talk to you soon. See you, man.